All right, so yeah, we're going to get things started here. So basically, anybody that is not a host, co-host, or guest speaker, if you could mute yourself for the time being, that would be tremendously helpful. Since this is going to be a podcast, it really helps to kind of keep things clean and just in general, it helps the conversation to flow better. All right, so hello, everyone, and welcome to the April 2023 Blindham's Tech Zoom meeting, where we always bring you things from the blindness perspective. You can kind of think of this as the interactive version of the CQ Blindham's podcasts, which are also quite informative. But this is kind of cool because everybody gets to come in and join us and participate in the presentations and um, you know interact, ask questions, and all that good stuff. So. Uh, if you want to learn more about this meeting and a lot of other neat stuff that pertains to blind amateur radio operators, I recommend going to www.blindhams.com. A lot of good stuff there, including, by the way, the link to these meetings. So uh, they stay the same pretty much. So if you uh, don't get it one month or get an email or anything like that, you always know you can come here on the second Thursday of every month. Uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, and find us. So in case you don't already know, by now we are all being recorded, and there's a pop-up that comes up, if you're not familiar with Zoom, that tells you that you're being recorded. If you don't hit the Got It button, uh, you will not be able to have access to your meeting control. So if, you're, if you haven't done this before, look for that Got It button, activate it, and now you'll be able to have access to your meeting controls. So basically, as I said before, if we could all keep muted, that'd be great. If we could wait to be acknowledged before speaking, uh, that helps uh, in the flow of the conversation as well. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and uh, introduce our co-host and crew here. Joel, W0CAS, what's going on with you? Hey, Julian, just uh, getting back into HF uh, since we moved. We got my antenna put up in the attic, as uh, as everyone probably knows by now. We got my Kenwood TS590 back on uh, FT8, and I've been working a lot of DX over the last few days. And very excited to uh, to hear our talk well, tonight. Back to you, yeah, Julian. Microphone. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, whoever has the, was just talking about your microphone, if you could mute yourself. Um, that would be very helpful. Okay. <laughs> so very cool, Joe. Yeah, uh, I've been hearing you talk about this on the air. I've also was following all your frustrations with trying to get your FT8 working, and I'm glad you finally got that uh, figured out. Because, <laughs> God, that's going to be terrible. You're trying to get this thing on the air, and the no-go. So glad that you're having fun in the world of HF, as I wish I could be. But hey, for the time being, I guess I'll just tune in on my Kenwood THF6A and see what I could find. Uh, Robert, NC5R, how are things in Texas? Well, good evening, Jewel, uh, Julian and everybody. Things are fine here in Texas. Beautiful weather. Probably not quite like California, but I too, like uh, Joel, am very much looking forward to this talk on antennas tonight. So welcome, everyone. Sit back and relax and enjoy the presentation. Back to you, Julia. Thanks, Robert. 
And Steve, WB2KTV, I think you guys are having some good weather over there, aren't you? We are having crazy weather. We have not had 90 degrees in April since 1977. I'm in midtown Manhattan, and you'd think it was the middle of the summer. It's not going to last, and that's all right. It shouldn't. Uh, I'm an wow, you guys got up to 90. I'm, we, we did make 90 today. I'm nice. an HFR from the 70s. Uh, when I moved to Manhattan in 81, that was the end of that. Uh, no HF in the little apartment. But I'm pretty active on UHF and VHF. I have an all-star node in the whole nine yards. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm looking to play Vera FM with somebody. But there's nobody in New York that does any Vera. So I keep trying. All right. Well, <laughs> very cool. I do hope you find somebody to play uh, that HF with there. And uh, the man behind the scenes pushing all the buttons, making us all sound great. Let's see if uh, Angelo N2DYN wants to say a few words. Uh, just to welcome everybody. Good to hear you guys in there. If it looks like we're having a, a problem with the muting, Julian, what I'll do is mute everybody and then the speaker can unmute. But we'll we'll see if we need to do that. Yeah, I thanks think so for, uh, thanks for being the uh, MC for us there, Julian. And oh, you're so welcome. welcome. My, I'm glad to do my part here. And last but not least, I'll introduce myself. I'm Julian Vargas, call N1CA, November 1, Charlie Alpha, in Southern California, Los Angeles area, where, uh, well, in terms of weather, if you like it cool and cloudy, then, then you you love it down here the last few months. It's, I have to say, probably the coldest and wettest winter I remember in the 34 years that I've lived here. I grew up in New York. And moved out here thinking that I was getting away from all that. Well, caught up with me 34 years later. And, <laughs> you know, New York was 90. I think we barely got to 61 or 62 today here in L.A. with clouds solid all day long. So uh, I want to trade weather. I, I want that 90 degrees and sunshine. That's what I came here for. <laughs> so very cool. Well, glad to uh, be here and do my part to, uh, to, you know, lend to this effort. And I'm glad you all could come. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and uh, start the introduction process for our guest speaker, John Portoon, W6NBC. What a cool call sign that is. He is going to give us a presentation on slot antennas. So um, looking forward to hearing about that. Uh, somebody who lives in an apartment and can't have a lot of fun on all this stuff. I'm always looking to learn everything there is to learn about antennas, especially small things that you can put up low profile and uh, try to get away with stuff. He, uh, John's a retired uh, broadcast engineer and has published more than 25 ham radio related articles. Um, I know that uh, John really has a quite a, much more of an extensive bio but uh, haven't had a chance to really uh, look through a lot of that myself lately. I'm wondering, Joel, if you're around, uh, if you might be able to uh, maybe fill in some blanks here for us. Well, yeah, I just know John has a lot of hobbies outside of ham radio. And uh, the one that caught my eye was uh, sushi. I, I can't wait to hear a little bit about that maybe later on. But uh, John uh, uh, is going to get into all that and uh, look forward to it. All right, sushi. Can we tie that into antennas? Maybe we can fry them if you transmit high enough. <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, go ahead, John uh, W6NBC. The floor is yours. All right. Well, thank you for having me, and I'll be glad to 
come back anytime you like. So let's uh, share the screen here and get rid of uh, this stuff. And look at this. Okay. Okay. I'm going to try something a little different here, so stand by. No, I think not. I think this will be the better way to do it here. I had a major computer crash today, so uh, you'll have to uh, stand by uh, while I uh, get this up and running. All right, here we go. I assume you're seeing this uh, opening slide here, or if you're those of you who are able to see it. We're gonna talk today about what got me started in the slot antennas. I have another complete presentation on slot antennas in general, but this is the this was the thing that got me going on slot antennas, an antenna not known very much by ham radio operators. The slot antenna was introduced into the ham world back in 1938 by a British engineer working for EMI who introduced it into the broadcast television world, which was my world of expertise, uh, because it became the dominant broadcast antenna because it had characteristics ideal for television broadcasting. It was a vertical antenna, which made it omnidirectional, but it was horizontally polarized, which is what broadcast uh, television is, it's horizontally polarized. Uh, and uh, But it was not convenient antenna for most ham radio operators, so it's never become very popular. So, uh, but it was always an antenna that kind of lingered in the back of my mind because of my contact with it during from broadcast television. And I got into it here later on while working in television. I was driving down the street one day and I happened to be stopped at a stop sign and I looked up at a house at the corner and I saw one of the common oval shaped dishes that uh, are used to pick up television from the broadcast satellites that many people these days use, in fact, a vast majority of people now use to receive their television from. Direct TV and Dish Network use these typical uh, slimline dishes. They're called oval-shaped dishes, about about a half a span width and about two feet high, and with a, a little feed device out in front of it. I'm looking at a picture here of two of them, and uh, probably can imagine easily what they look like. Uh, and I thought I thought to myself, wouldn't it be interesting if I could if I could hide my two meter antenna, because I live in a mobile home, typical mobile home. And typically in mobile home parks, they don't allow antennas, uh, any antennas, except these satellite dishes, because there is a federal law that says you can't 
prohibit these these satellite dishes. In fact, it's the FCC uh, law section uh, CFR section 1-14 from 1996, which prohibits restricting satellite dishes less than one meter in diameter. And all these common broadcast, these TV receiving dishes are indeed less than one meter or 39 inches in diameter. And so the the Gestapo that runs around most of the homeowners associations or, or mobile home parks and says that you can't have any kinds of antennas up, can't tell you to take one of these dishes down because they're violating a federal law if they tell you to do that. That's why any any anybody that says you got to take your, your satellite dish down is breaking the law if they tell you. And you can easily win in court if you take them to court. So I got to thinking, Suppose you suppose you could hide my two meter antenna, which is against the rules for my CCNRs, but or my homeowners association. But it's but if I could hide it in my satellite dish, then they couldn't tell me to take it down. But I got to thinking, how about all that metal in that dish? Wouldn't that fight against my two meter antenna? Wouldn't they be in conflict all that metal? Then it struck me one day, slot antenna. Suppose I were to just take out a, a metal saw and cut a little slot antenna into the reflector of that TV dish. Couldn't I make a two meter antenna that way? Couldn't I make a two meter antenna by cutting a slot and a two meter slot antenna into the reflector of one of those TV satellite dishes? Now it wouldn't have to be working to pick up satellite uh, TV the neighbors wouldn't know anything about it. It would look just like a satellite dish. And it could be another one on the house. I'd have two of them on the house, but lots of houses have two satellite dishes on, on the house. And the neighbors wouldn't know it wasn't a satellite a dish to pick up TV signals. And a lot of houses, as I said, have two of these on the, on the house. Uh, but uh, but if, it, it could be, if it could be a two meter antenna because it had a two meter slot cut in the dish, I'd get away with it. And so that's what I did. I didn't know if I could do it or not, but I got one of these dishes, got out my got out my saber saw and hacked away on the dish. And sure enough, I was able to make a slot antenna in that in that second in that second TV dish that I got surplus at a uh, at a uh, at a uh, at a local uh, I think it was a, a Goodwill store. This led me to write an article for QST magazine, which came out in April 1996, and it uh, also it also caused me to write a write a book, a uh, Kindle ebook, which you can obtain on uh, Amazon.com uh, just by putting in the name "slot antennas for ham radio." There's a Kindle ebook by that title there. It's five dollars is a cheap cheap kindle ebook slot antennas for ham radio that i wrote and it shows a in the front of it is a picture of of my very satellite dish which is still on the back of my house <laughs> to this day if you go out the back of my mobile home there's the there's the satellite dish there right on the back of my home in fact it's a picture that anybody can find any day on the internet just by asking for a picture of satellite dishes you'll get the picture of my satellite dish on the back of my home and it makes a great it makes a great two meter antenna. It's a two meter slot antenna cut into the dish of my uh, 
of my of my uh, TV dish. Now I know this might not be something that mo many of you might be able to to actually build yourself, but maybe you've got a friend that 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 is able to do this that might be able to build one of these for you. And it's it's an easy build, quite an easy build, and lots and lots of these have been built. It's been a very popular build to take one of these surplus surplus uh, satellite. Uh, antennas and you can often find them like i say at thrift stores and at swap meets and other things and you get another one of them you leave the one you use to pick up tv signals with and you mount another one on your house your neighbor won't know it's not being used to look at to, to work for your two meter antenna and you put another one up there and uh, they'll think you're just got another tv dish antenna up there on your house it, it's a great way to hide a two meter antenna uh it's just an oval dish here, and I'm looking at a picture of, of just the dish itself. But just imagine an, an oval uh, that's about a, about a meter wide or a yard wide, and that's about how big it is, uh, uh, wide, about half a span wide, and it's about two feet high. It's the typical slimline dish that almost all of the, all of the satellite dish, dish sellers, DirecTV or, uh, or Dish Network, use to pick up the signals from the broadcast broadcasting satellites. Now a two meter slot antenna is 39 inches long. It's a little too big, little too big for this dish. So what you have to do is you have to droop the ends of the slot. The slot needs to be 39 inches long. That's the length of a two meter slot, which is just a narrow slot cut into a metal plane. But as you may know, a, an antenna, even a dipole antenna, 39 inch two meter dipole, you can droop the ends. I mean, an inverted V, for example, is a drooped is a drooped dipole. Or you can take a straight 39 inch dipole and just droop the ends and it'll work fine. Well, this the slot that's cut into this 30, that cut into this three foot wide oval dish is 24 inches horizontal and it has two seven inch seven and a half inch drooped ends, making a total of 39 inches, which is a half wavelength slot or a half wave half wavelength dipole, slot dipole, because that's what it is. It's a slot dipole. That's what it is. Cut into, into a direct TV dish or a or a, uh, a a dish network dish. They're both the same cut, physically the same dish. They're called slimline dishes. It's the common common direct TV dish that you find today, or a direct broadcasting dish that you find today. You find them on most houses today, and they you can't be prohibited by law from, from putting them up. And so you can imagine what they look like. I've had lots of pictures sent back to me from re various readers. I'm looking at a picture here of, of uh, of one of these sent back from a from a reader showing a showing his picture a picture of his thing, and you want to leave the you want to leave the feed horn thing on the antenna. If anyone builds one of these for you, you don't take the you don't take the feed horn thing that's up out in front of the dish. You leave that on there because it'll make the the neighbors think you're still using it to pick up TV signals. You don't use it, but it doesn't bother anything. Just leave it on there. The slot that's in, cut into the dish works just as well with it or without it. And of course, this picture that I'm looking at still has the feed feed horn assembly on it. So, what is a slot antenna anyway? It's a mystery to most hams. Most hams have probably heard the name slot antenna, but they don't know what it is. 
And if you go looking on the internet, you won't get any, any very good information. And even if you go looking in the radio books, you won't get a lot of good information about what slot antennas are. Now they became popular back in 1938, as I've already mentioned, when a British engineer showed the broadcast television industry, both in Europe, both in the UK and in the United States, where television broadcasting began on VHF uh, and, and continues to this day to some degree on VHF, although most of it has gone to UHF broadcasting. But the slot antenna continues to be the mainstay antenna for both VHF and UHF broadcasting. It's typically a big cylinder, a big, big pipe that sticks up in the air that has a lot of little vertical slots cut into it, little openings cut into it that are the length of a VHF dipole, little vertical slots, openings, little holes cut in there, a whole bunch of them that are fed that are fed in series, but one of them would be good enough, but they like to use a bunch of them so they get, get better gain out of it. But the typical TV broadcasting antenna is a bunch of, is a bunch of vertical slots cut into a, uh, a, a big tall pipe, pipe shaped structure, uh, which acts as a waveguide that feeds the energy that comes out of the slots uh, and is the main antenna. Slots also have been used uh, for example, in the wings of aircraft, for example, uh, I've got there's a picture here on the screen that I'm looking at of Air Force One, the, the one that the president flies around in. It has a bunch of slots cut in the tail. Also, they've been used in stealth vehicles. There's a picture of the president's limousine where the slot antenna is cut in the body of the car so that the antenna is not visible in case any snipers want to try to shoot the antenna off the car. There's nothing to shoot at. So they've been used for stealth uh, a number of times. So, uh, but the slot antenna has been not been very popular for hams. Ham, hams haven't hams haven't made much use out of slot antennas. Yet there's a lot of good applications for slot antennas in ham radio, particularly on HF. Now there's a there's a little cartoon which I want to describe here for you. It shows two rabbits talking to each other. And one of them has got one of one of my my satellite dishes strapped onto his head. He's got a cap on, and it's and onto it is is attached a one of my satellite dishes with a slot cut into it. And the other rabbit is talking to him, facing him, and and the other rabbit's got his ears pointing up. And the one that's got my satellite dish on his head is saying to the other rabbit, he says. I can't believe you're still using rabbit ears. <laughs> I thought that was a funny little cartoon. Well, if you go to the radio books, which a lot of people do to try to figure out what a slot antenna is, they won't explain it to you. I tried. I wanted to know how slot antennas worked because I never could figure it out. I never could understand how slot antennas work. And a lot of hams get buffaloed by slot antennas. And if you go into the books, They'll show you a picture. They'll show you a picture of a slot antenna, a big sheet of metal with a narrow opening, a narrow rectangular opening cut into it. And yes, that's a slot antenna. And they'll show you a feed point, a couple of dots in the middle, a couple of dots in the middle of the slot, the opening cut in this big metal plane. And then they'll show you a dipole, a dipole of the same shape as the slot, 
up above the uh, up above the up above the actual slot antenna with a with again with a feed point at a break in the middle and they'll say these two antennas are complements of each other and yes that's true it's true that if you cut a cut a dipole and make it the same shape as the hole that you cut in a big piece of metal and you feed the dipole in series and you feed the slot in parallel or across the slot they are a complement they radiate the same way, they have the same gain, and they have the same radiation pattern. But they're two completely different antennas. One's a hole cut in a piece of metal, and one is a couple of straight pieces of conductor or wire. But I couldn't figure this out. I couldn't figure out how in the heck could that hole in that piece of metal be an antenna? That doesn't make sense to me. And it doesn't make sense to most ham radio operators either. A slot is like a dipole, I agree. It has the same gain, roughly 2.1 dBi, that's an absolute gain figure, in free space. And it has the same bandwidth. If you make the slot and the, and the dipole of the same physical dimensions, a hole the same shape as you make the dipole, it has the same gain, same, same performance. A slot is like a dipole and it has the same directivity as the as this as the hole cut in that plane of metal it has the directivity we call it the uh, the donut shape radiation pattern if you know what the radiation pattern of a dipole is like it's it's shaped like a donut take a typical dipole just a wired dipole the the, the energy radiates off of the dipole as if it was a donut surrounding the dipole where the energy radiates perpendicular to the dipole in the shape of a donut. In other words, the most of the energy goes perpendicular to the dipole and uh, in a shape, in, 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 a, in a pattern, which is shaped like a donut. So we call it the typical donut-shaped dipole radiation pattern. The difference between a slot though, and a dipole is that the polarization of the slot is at 90 degrees to the slot. And it, therefore, a horizontal dipole is vertically polarized. This is very important. It's vertically polarized. So if you make a horizontal slot, you've got a vertically polarized antenna. Or if you have a vertical slot, it's, it's horizontally polarized. That's what made it right for te television broadcasting. They could make the vertical slots by putting a whole bunch of them in a big vertical pipe, and it would radiate with horizontal polarization because television broadcasting is horizontally polarized. Your TV antennas pick up the signal horizontally polarized. That's why this antenna is ideal for, for, uh, for, uh, for the uh, two meter antenna. The horizontal slot is ideal for vertical polarization, which is what two meter repeaters are. So that's why this horizontal slot cut in this cut in this TV dish is perfect to talk to a repeater, which is vertically polarized. That's why I thought this was a great antenna to use as a TV dish in a TV dish to talk to repeaters because repeaters are vertically polarized. Another difference, another difference between the slot antenna and the uh, and the uh, and a and a typical dipole, a dipole. Uh, which is fed in the middle, is has low impedance in the middle, typically 72 ohms. 
and high impedance at the end. If those of you know what, how the theory of a dipole, it's low impedance in the middle and very high impedance at the end. A lot of high voltage at the end, very, very low current. High impedance at the end, but very low, low, low voltage in the middle, very high current in the middle. It radiates in the middle. But the slot is different. The slot radiates from the ends and has high impedance in the middle and low impedance at the ends. It radiates from the ends. So it's different than the slot in that respect. So the feed points of a slot are near the ends, not as a dipole where the feed point is in the middle. So you want to feed a slot near the ends. Another difference between the slot and the dipole, although they are complements of each other, they radiate in the same way. The dipole is a series fed antenna. The slot is a shunt fed or a parallel fed antenna. Uh, these, are, these are the basic differences between them, even though they radiate almost identically. Now, I wanted, I wanted when I when I was able to make a successful antenna out of the out of the TV dish, I wanted to know more about slots. So I got out my MFJ antenna analyzer and a big piece of box cardboard. And I'm looking at a picture of myself that my wife took here uh, with a piece of box cardboard up against the wall and some aluminum foil tape, adhesive tape. And I built myself a slot on that box cardboard. It's a picture of me sitting in a chair uh, looking at with my MFJ analyzer and this slot antenna made out of aluminum foil tape stuck onto the box cardboard with a narrow slot of about a quarter of an inch wide and some two inch aluminum foil tape stuck on the box and shorted at the ends with a couple of pieces of aluminum foil tape. And this was a 39 inch long slot antenna that I built on the box cardboard, which was just an insulator, something to hold it up. And I had my MFJ antenna analyzer and a couple of little needle probes that I could go along the slot and make measurements. I was investigating slot antennas to see how they worked. And I discovered something important. Whoops, I'll slide my pictures better here. Stand by for a second. Okay. One moment. Okay. I discovered, and you won't find this in any of the radio handbooks. They won't say this. Radio handbooks are almost worthless in telling you how slots work. Although I wrote an article for the out the, the soon soon to be coming out latest issue of the ARRL antenna handbook, and it'll have an article in it that I wrote, which will make it plain. Anyway, the width of the slot in, an an, in, a, in a slot antenna isn't critical, and the width of the plane isn't critical. You can, I discovered by all these experiments with the cardboard and the aluminum foil tape, I discovered that you can change the width of the slot as much as you like, and you can change the plane as much as you like. You can make the plane very small, or you can make the slot very small, or you can make the plane very wide, and you can make the slot very wide, either one. And you can still get a good slot antenna. This is absolutely true. And I was surprised by that. But none of the radio books will tell you this. And this was quite something that I discovered here. And it led me to, it led me to two slot antennas, which were very important. And it opened up the whole world of HF skeleton slots and led me ultimately to 
what I consider the best antenna that I have ever created, which is called the double inverted delta skeleton slot. And a lot of them have been made and they work very well. But it all started with an antenna, a, a slot antenna that you find quite often on the, on the internet, about the only slot antenna that you do find commonly on the internet for hams called a hen-tenna, H-E-N-T-E-N-N-A, a hen-tenna. It was invented by two Japanese engineers back in the 1970s for six meters. And it showed me, that antenna antenna showed me the biggest discovery. It was how in the world can a hole in a piece of metal be an antenna? How can a hole in a plane of metal transmit? That didn't ever make any sense to me and it doesn't make sense to most hams. Oh, stop that. I gotta stop, stop using my mouse correctly, incorrectly. Okay. I want you to imagine here, three antennas. One is a is a square piece loop of wire, square, one quarter wavelength on a side. So it's a quarter wavelength on all sides, a square antenna. What is that? That's the that's the loop out of a cubical quad antenna. I'm sure some of you have heard of a cubical quad antenna. It's a, it's an antenna made of two two one wavelength loops of wire spaced a quarter of a wavelength apart. Great antenna, commonly used antenna. A lot of hams have cubical quad antennas. I want you to now visualize another antenna. Take that cubical quad antenna and stretch it from the side. Just grab a hold of the sides and stretch it out until it's long and thin. Now, very narrow vertically, but very long horizontally. So it's a narrow, narrow antenna now, not very high, but long, almost a half a wavelength long. What is that antenna? That's a folded dipole. And have you ever heard of a folded dipole? Well, of course you have. If you're a ham radio antenna, you know what a, a ham radio operator, you know what a folded dipole is. It's a long, thin antenna. It's a, it's a one wavelength loop of wire uh, uh, with a small space between the two horizontal, the two horizontal portions, and it's a it's a short has a couple of short wires at the end connecting the two horizontal pieces of wire together. It's a folded dipole. It's usually fed by by breaking the loop uh, in the middle uh, and connecting your 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 feed line to it. But now let's imagine a slot antenna with a with a fairly with a small with a small metal plane and a fairly large hole, a slot cut in the middle. And imagine that the slot is the same size as the, as the space in the folded dipole. They are the same antenna, if you think about it. If you make, if you make the space around the slot the same size as the space as the wire around the folded dipole, it is physically the same antenna. A slot is just a folded dipole. The hole in the middle is the same as the space between the wires of a folded dipole. It's the same antenna. The only difference being is that you feed the folded dipole by breaking the wire 
but you feed the slot antenna by connecting across it. That's the only difference. But now go back in your mind to the cubical quad, the square antenna. If any of you have ever owned a cubical quad or you know about the cubical quad, if you feed the cubical quad, quad at the bottom by breaking it at the, at, the, at the bottom, make the feed point at the bottom, what's the polarization? It's horizontal. What happens though, if you go up and you break the cubical quad loop, the one wavelength loop of wire, if you break it at the side, it becomes vertically polarized. Well, that's exactly the same with the folded dipole. If instead of feeding the folded dipole, if you, instead of breaking it in, in the middle, in the middle horizontally, you were to go down to the ends and to break it down there, the folded dipole would become vertically polarized. But that's exactly what happens to the slot antenna. If you feed it near the ends by feeding across it, it's vertically polarized. There is no difference in these antennas. There is some difference. Yes, I have to agree. Their current distribution will be somewhat, somewhat different. They're not exactly the same antenna, but they're analogous. They're absolutely analogous. There's no mystery about a slot antenna. It is essentially the same thing as a folded dipole. Takes all the mystery out of the slot antenna. I keep doing the wrong thing here to my slides. Stand by while I get back in sync here. I'm looking now at a picture of a slot antenna, a classical slot antenna, big plane, small slot. That's a picture I talk off the internet of somebody who shows, shows a picture of what the currents are in a slot antenna. This is a, an image of a, of, a, of a rectangular slot antenna, nice big metal plane and a fairly small slot, but it's superimposed over on it are, are, is, a, is a representation of the currents. The most intense currents here are shown in bright, in dark red, and then farther out from them are are orange and then farther out from them are blue and then it tapers off into nothing. And where, the, where are those currents? They're right around the edge of the slot. That's what's doing the transmitting in a slot antenna, not the hole. The hole can't transmit. The slot doesn't transmit. The slot is not the antenna. It's the edge of the slot around the slot in the plane that is doing the transmitting. But that's exactly what does the transmitting, transmitting in a folded dipole. It's the current flowing around the opening between the two wires of a folded dipole that does the transmitting, not the space between the two wires of a folded dipole any more than is it the space between the, between the edges of the slot that do the transit. A slot cannot transmit. It's only the edge of the slot that can transmit. Oh, dang it. No, I keep doing it. Why do I keep doing this wrong? You got to pardon me. I keep hitting the wrong button here. All right, let's go into some, a little bit on construction. I know most of you probably won't 
won't be making this, but here's a, again the a, a picture of the uh, of the of the dish. It's not big enough to hold a straight slot. I'd like to. I would have liked to have had it to be a straight slot, but as I mentioned earlier, I had to droop the ends. You make the you make the, the slot is made near the top of the dish. Uh, so that a, a full 39 inch slot will fit on the dish. Actually, I made it a bit longer. I made it about 40 inches long. The feed point. The feed point, as I mentioned earlier, is near the end. The because the feed because the feed point of a slot is low impedance at the end, whereas a dipole, it's high impedance at the end because the feet, but the feed points of a slot are low impedance at the end. You can feed it at either end and you feed it in parallel again. Remember, it's fed in parallel. So I made up a little fixture here with a couple of, with a couple of little magnets, neodymium magnets, and I connected my, a, a piece of coax uh, to the two neodymium magnets and I just stuck them uh, uh, all across the slot near the end, and I hooked my hooked my test cable uh, up to my antenna analyzer, and I just slid it along the edge of the slot until I got the dip, until I found the dip, and I moved the I moved the magnets along the along the slot until I got a one to one match, and it was very easy to find a one to one match simply by sliding by sliding the two little neodymium magnets. One was connected to the shield of the coax. The other was connected to the center pin of the coax. And I just slid the two little neodymium magnets along the along the back of the along the back of the dish until I got a good one-to-one -one match. I did I did it I did it for all all sorts of uh, uh, positions along the along the back. And then when I found the right position, so I got a one-to-one -one match. I simply got out an electric drill, drilled a couple of holes at that point, and put a couple of screws through and connected the coax permanently to the to the dish at that point. And the and the thing was properly matched. I had a good one-to-one -one SWR and the and the dish has been working great ever since. Uh, this picture here, you can't if you can't see it, I'll describe it to you here, also has a ballon uh, present in the in the uh, to it. You need a ballon I, I like I put ballons on all my antennas. In this case, it's a coiled coax ballon, or what we commonly call an, an ugly ballon. You just use a, a six turns of the feed coax, which is a piece of mini eight mini eight coax. I made six I made six turns of of the of the feed coax, coiled it up into two inch diameter two inch diameter uh, coil of coax and held it together with four zip ties. And that makes good, a good ballon, the inductance of four turns of, uh, of mini eight coax held together with dip zip ties, puts enough, puts enough choking, choking resistance in the outside of the shield that prevents any RF from getting back onto the shield and, and provides an adequate ballon at the antenna. And then that goes back to, uh, goes back to my, my transmitter at the other end. I, th I then uh, spent a little time, though, also researching how sensitive is the location of that feed point. I made a chart, and this is this is a chart that I'm looking at, uh, which uh, if you if anyone builds it for you, you can these slides can be obtained, by the way, by going to 
w6nbc.com slash slides. That's w6nbc.com slash slides. If somebody wants to uh, make a note of that, w6nbc.com slash slides. You'll get all of these slides. They'll come right down to you. And, uh, you, and then you can get all of this information from it. You can get this graph here. It shows you that you can get a good SWR on this antenna if the feed point is anywhere from about three inches to about six inches from the from the end of the from the end of the antenna. It's very forgiving antenna. It has an optimum feed point position of about three and a half to about four and a half inches. But it's an easy antenna. You can build it. Just put the feed point there, and don't even have to really do much experimentation to find out where the feed point goes. Easy build antenna. The tuning of the antenna, if it needs a little tuning, is very simple too. You could just use pieces of aluminum tape. I made the original slot a little longer than it needed to be. It works out at about 39 inches uh, when you finally get it tuned up. I actually cut the I actually cut the slot 40 inches long. I made it a little bit instead of seven and a half. I made the droop eight inches eight inches long, and then I used pieces of aluminum foil tape and just taped it across the end of the slot so that it shortened it electrically. So by moving the feed point a little, which you really don't have to, once, once you get a low SWR, it doesn't change much. And just by moving this the little shorting tape at the end, you can get it tuned exactly where you want it to. This antenna is very easy to tune. Put the put the the uh, the, the, the coax uh, the feed point at about four inches and move the, the shorting tapes at the end and you'll get an absolutely perfect tune and match very, very easily on this antenna. Now, I also mentioned this earlier, but I'll mention it again. Leave the LNB assembly. That's the thing that sticks out in front of the dish. Leave it on, leave it on your antenna. It'll fool the neighbors. If you take it off, then the neighbors will know you're doing something funny. Leave it on there because it doesn't bother the antenna as a two meter antenna. And here's another thing. You do have to point this antenna not, not at the satellites. You point this antenna at the repeater that you want to work. Because remember, it has a, it has a radiation pattern like a donut. So you do have to point the dish at the repeater. But point it up high. Because it has that donut-shaped radiation pattern, it doesn't matter if it's pointing up in the sky looking like it's looking at a, at a TV satellite to fool your neighbors. Because with the radiation pattern looking like a donut, it's picking. It's also picking up lower down. So point it at the repeater uh, side to side, but aim it up in the air like it's looking at a satellite. And your neighbors will never have a clue. Now, some people have asked, uh, can you use it on 70 centimeters on 440? Yes, you can. It'll work all by itself on on the third harmonic uh, two meter antennas most two meters antennas will work on four seven on 40 on uh, 70 centimeters or 440 all by themselves generally speaking on the third harmonic but they often have a bad radiation pattern it's better to cut two slots on the dish if you want to have a 440 antenna as well but it's okay to cut two slots in the antenna Good friend of mine, AI6MS Marcel Stevers, his name, lives near me. 
he made he made his dish with two slots in it. What he did, what he did is he moved the two meter slot down a little bit, put it more in the middle of the dish rather than near the top. And he cut another slot at the top, a 12 inch long dish at slot at the top for 440. And they put two slots on the dish. And uh, I'm looking at a picture of uh, his dish here. Uh, and, uh, and he used two feed points, again, near the end for both of them, a 12 inch slot for 440 and the 40 inch or 39 inch slot for two meters. And he used two feed lines and the two feed lines each, each had their own little ballon on them, these little coiled coax ballon on it. And, it, and the two little lines there went back to a, a diplexer. Now you can buy these diplexers. They're commonly available from any radio dealer or even off of Amazon. They're made to combine two antennas into one coax. They're readily available for $25, $30. And uh, you, can, you can get them and they're commonly available for combining uh, two antennas into one coax, 440 and two meter antennas. Then you can have just one coax running back to a dual band radio. And you mount that on the back of the satellite dish along with the two slots and the two, two little coaxes. And then you have a satellite dish that'll run both bands correctly. Although you can probably run the two meter one alone uh, on 70 centimeters as well, pretty successfully. You also need uh, on the back of the dish, I found you needed to brace the two meter slot, uh, it's, it weakens the dish a little bit, not much, not, not significantly, but it weakens the dish because it, cuts a, it uh, cuts a pretty heavy slot in the, in the dish. I used a piece of, little piece of nylon bar stock that I had, but any plastic handle, I cut a piece out of a, of a spatula, an old spatula worked fine. Just a, just a piece of PC board with the, co the copper taken off of it and a couple of 632 screws out in the middle of the slot worked just fine. Here's a picture of the PC board, one that I used. But one thing to remember, if you have somebody build one of these for you, tell them, don't leave the slot open. Don't fill the slot up with, with tape or some kind of goop or glue. Don't put any tape or filler in the slot. It's okay to paint the edges of the slot to keep it from rusting but don't put tape over it or don't cover it up with, with anything that's a dielectric because it may change the, the tuning of the slot. Leave the slot open. Now, some people have asked me, is it practical to use the dish for both picking up TV signals and as a two meter antenna? The answer is no, it's not practical for two reasons. The two meter antenna, or if you use it also for 440, the two meter antenna is going, you're going to be putting out pretty good power into this slot. And the front end of your TV receiver isn't going to like it. In fact, it might even damage your TV receiver. So don't think about using one of these antennas, both for both TV receptions and for two meters for 40, because they're, they're incompatible. Besides, you're going to be aiming this antenna at the repeater. You're not going to be aiming this antenna at the TV at the TV satellite up in the air. You might be aiming it up, but the TV satellite uh, transmitting uh, satellite is going to be in a different direction than your repeater. So it's going to have a wrong directivity. Your neighbors won't be any wiser because many houses have more than one of these dishes on them. And that's pretty much it, folks.
Next time you're sitting there in your easy chair, maybe with a cool one in your hand or whatever it is, and you've got your HT in your hand and you're, and you're chatting with your buddies on your HT, tell them, hey guys, guess what? I'm coming to you through my TV satellite dish. And that's it, folks. Great job, John, great job. Yeah, I agree. And, and you're not even setting amateur television. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you answered one thing toward the end there, because that's one of the questions I was going to ask is, could you use this for more than two meters? So you, you mentioned 440. So uh, could you possibly make it a, uh, a multi-band thing? What other bands would you have in mind? Oh, like 440, 220, things like that. You, sure, you sure, certainly could do it for 222. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think it would work for any any other uh, any other bands than that, unless you want to go unless you're doing some things on 2300. <laughs> <laughs> I of course do slots for for HF, but then I, these are wire antennas and they're much bigger. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, right. guys, if you've got uh, if you've got topics that you think are particularly would be particularly interesting for your group in particular, I'm, I'm most willing to uh, I'm most willing to consider developing uh, developing talks for you because I I can I consider your group important in ham radio and most happy that ham radio can serve can serve blind hams. It's a it's 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 something that it's, it feels good. Uh, to me. So uh, don't hesitate if you think, hey, our group would really like to hear something about dot, 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 dot. Send I have me a an question. Email. Yeah. What kind of range did you get out of um, the antenna? Did you compare it with, uh, say, a normal, a normal um, vertical? Did you compare it with maybe a, a dipole or um, did you compare it with another one or maybe even a you know a little beam well and did it have any directionality to it oh yes it, its directionality is absolutely equal to a vertical dipole so if you've got a if you've got a standard like a j-pole for example it has exactly the same gain as a j-pole so if you, if, you, if somebody has built you a built you a copper j-pole to talk to the repeaters. This antenna has exactly the same game, same directivity, same pattern. Got it, thank you. Awesome, thanks, Margaret. I got a question also, John. Uh, does the pole that uh, supports the dish, usually are their metal, does, if, if it's swapped out for, a, say, a, a PVC pole, does that change anything as far as the, uh, all of the surrounding all of the surroundings of the satellite dish have very very little effect on the on the slot okay what about power levels what's the rating what do you think 100 watts 50 watts Easy, uh, easily 100 watts no no problem it's a it's a it's a full power antenna it would tolerate great power uh, they're they're absolutely they're absolutely compatible with dipoles whatever you whatever you do with a j pole you can do it with this antenna Awesome. Anybody else have any questions? Okay, well, uh, 
thank you, John, again for uh, coming and presenting to us. Uh, it was quite informative. And yeah, if we come up with any uh, other topics or things like that, we will absolutely uh, have you come back. Don't hesitate. I'm I'm retired, and this has been the most fun part of ham radio to me is doing these presentations and writing articles and building antennas like this. And uh, I, I I do a certain amount of operating these days, but uh, it's uh, that's kind of uh, not something I do as much anymore. This is what I do for ham radio these days. So I'll be happy to develop uh, develop a topic that might be very specific to your your particular needs. We'll definitely take you up on that. I'm sure. Uh, and I tell you, you can you can tell by the lack of questions how how complete your talk was, and you answered all of our questions almost right up front. And you did a great job of, uh, of explaining your slideshow for us. And like I said, we'll be putting it on our YouTube channel in whole as the slideshow was presented, so sighted people will run across it and have many many times on some of our videos but then the rest don't have an audio version as a podcast so well use my material as you like it's open source stuff i don't care what you do it put it put it on uh, you know put it on youtube or whatever you like i i don't i don't care where it goes it's it's open to the ham public great we thank you very much for that we'll definitely give you uh credit and we'll give your website links and everything in the show notes so uh We'll direct everybody to those uh, uh, those slides that you uh, talked about. All righty, guy. Yeah, W6NBC mail, W6NBC.com slash slides. You'll get all the slides that you, all the slides will come down to you for somebody who can who can use them visually. It just going back to what you all said a minute ago about understandability. As soon as you started talking about uh, folded dipoles and quads, I've put up a number of those in my youth. Other friends of mine have. I've helped them work on them. And I'm thinking back to what they felt like when I was putting them up. I said, you know, the, the only difference is that was a piece of wire and this was a big old piece of metal. What's the difference? There is none. There, there is, there is a, there are a difference of current distribution you know, and impedances, uh, but that's only caused by the way it's fed. Otherwise, it's physically the same structure. <laughs> right. If only I'd had you, John, when I was uh, studying for the, the ham exams to explain antenna theory, you did such a fantastic job. Thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure that I'm able to do that. <laughs> okay, guys, we'll see you down the old log, as they say. Good night. Yes, sir. We'll be seven three. Seven three. Seven three. That was good. That was very good. That was. Yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that. Very interesting. All the best. All the best. Thank you so much. Angelo? <clears throat> the only thing I forgot to ask him was about the uh, conductive electrical tape that you can use to short the end.